Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed epiphany season this Monday, January the 24th. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true word of God and made flesh and who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The light shines on us today from Matthew chapter 12. Jesus just came off those gracious words, words that just kind of roll off your lips when you hear them. And when you speak them or you say it to your family or to your congregation, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's just, it's just wonderful. It makes you, makes you know the comfort of the gospel and the reality of who this king is. Now the Pharisees intercede again. They're back in the back in the fold. This is taken almost taking away our our taking away our comfort, and they find fault and they say, "What what is going on on the Sabbath? You can't be doing that." And today, the study that we have comes down to this main question: What does it mean that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath? This is important. How do we define the Sabbath? How do we define Jesus? What does this mean for them? What does it mean for us? All that we will go into as we look once again to Jesus. The gifts are ready ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Joining us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome to us for the first time Pastor Daniel Galshute, Assistant to the President for Missions and Stewardship of the Kansas District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Galshute, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you so much, Brady. It's uh, great to be with you and to uh, share God's Word as uh, we discuss this today and as we uh, share with all those who are listening. Pastor Galshew, this is our first time together on Thy Strong Word. So tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of, work of the, well, your work as the assistant to the president in Kansas. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting uh, calling. It's been something I've been doing for about five years. And uh, one of the things I, I joke with people about is, uh, when your title begins with assistant, you do whatever your boss tells you to do. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve at the pleasure of the district president in a variety of ways in Kansas. There could be special projects or, or work to be done. But uh, specifically, I work in the areas of missions and stewardship. And as I uh, work in those areas, I, I primarily work in a few different ways. Uh, one of those ways is in teaching or education. I, I travel around Kansas preaching and teaching on missions and stewardship, doing workshops uh, in a variety of, way, variety of ways. I also um, do some uh, resource sharing or, or some consulting in the areas of missions and stewardship. And then I also work in uh, coordinating missions and stewardship activities uh, for the Kansas district. So I've been at this, as I said, about five years. It's been a, a different type of call than and serving as a, a parish pastor, but it's it's been a, a blessed one for me and for my family to serve uh, in this way and to, to live here in the, the Topeka area. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's a, a real joy, although I, I have to say one of the things about this job is I don't get to dig into the Word uh, quite as much as I did as a parish pastor, and that's one of the reasons why it's a, a real joy to be with you today. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, thank you for for here leading us. And the question that I had to talk to, to ask your district president um, is a question that's very vital if you live anywhere near the area you live, which is: Is it K State or KU? What's your team? 
Well, I actually grew up in Minnesota, so I'm still <laughs> I'm still loyal to the Golden Gopher. I love it. I knew that would be the answer because your district president had a different answer than that. That's for sure. <laughs> so anyways, uh, it's a joy to have you with us today, Pastor. And as we look at Matthew chapter 12, can you begin by asking the Lord's blessings upon our time in his word and prayer? Yes, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and the blessings of this day. Lord, we thank you for your powerful word, and we thank you for your life-giving word, which uh, points us to Jesus. Lord, as we uh, consider Matthew chapter 12 today, the first few verses, we ask that you would um, send your Holy Spirit among us, that we might be strengthened in our faith, that we might know more of, of your love and, and mercy for us, and that we might be reminded of all that you've done for us, especially as you sent your son Jesus uh, to to suffer, die, and rise for us, that in him we might find our rest and our Sabbath. So, Lord, we ask that you would uh, be with us today and always, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text or really anything in Matthew, we are slowly going through Matthew, really half chapter at a time, sometimes even less, to make sure that we are going through every part and, and one, seeing Christ, but also digging a little deeper than I know how I usually am. I get to like a gospel and I just plow through it, man. It's just like, go, 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 because I've got to get this done three chapters a day. Here's our opportunity to slow down and dig in. So if you have any questions really from Matthew 1 all the way to here in chapter 12, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, Pastor, I'm going to start this way. I'm going to read all of our verses that we are studying today. So we kind of wet our palate a little bit, get a little, get our, our get get our feet well a little bit, and make make sure that we are um, hearing the word and then coming back and refreshing um, and hearing what your introductory thoughts might be. So we begin Matthew chapter 12 from the English Standard Version, the first 14 verses. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you have known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and he was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is our text today. And Pastor, what are your first thoughts as we look at this whole chapter? Well, I really appreciate the way that you uh, opened up uh, talking about how easy it is to just kind of breeze through uh, familiar stories and, and not take time and, and dig in 
to a lot of what's going on. And I, I'd say that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of just wonderful uh, themes and, and really insightful perspective that Matthew, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is, is giving to us here, especially when we consider the larger context. And some of this uh, is what uh, Dr. Gibbs uh, cites in his Concordia commentary. But we're really in a section of Matthew where the identity of Jesus is uh, really a primary focus. I mean, that could really be said uh, for all the Gospels. All the Gospels deal with who is Jesus, but especially in the section of Matthew that we're in, the identity of Jesus is really in focus. It really starts in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 especially, where the disciples of John the Baptist um, come and they ask, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And, and this section where the identity of Jesus is really highlighted it's going to go, especially until Matthew chapter 16, where we get Peter's confession of the Christ, um, where um, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, um, in response to the question, uh, who do people say that I am, or who do you say that I am? So um, that that's really a significant thing that really helps us unpack um, our, our verses for today. Another thing is we look even closer on the context. As you mentioned, our, our verses for today uh, follow Jesus' wonderful words. Come to me, all who uh, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, it really uh, does flow naturally from that uh, that uh, word from Jesus, that promise from Jesus that we, we start talking about Sabbath and Sabbath rest in chapter 12. And then, again, as we're looking at who Jesus is, as we go on from the verses we're examining today, we're going to hear about Jesus as God's servant and Again, thinking about um, Jesus as God's servant, somebody who brings rest, one of the things we hear about Jesus as God's servant is that a bruised reed um, he will not break. Uh, so this is, this is a, a servant of God who comes uh, to, to be merciful and, and to give rest uh, to people who so desperately need it. And this is very, I think this is very much so an epiphany text, like chapters 11 and 12. I mean, it is... I didn't plan this. I just kind of, I started and said, okay, how can I make sure this goes all the way to Easter? I mean, to be honest. And, and, and these chapters fit perfectly right in the middle of Epiphany. God has a way of doing that. Just slowly peeling back like an onion, just slowly peeling back, revealing who Jesus is. As, 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 as you said, Dr. Gibbs in his commentary and also other commentaries I've read, it's just about the kingdom of God. It's, it's the kingdom of heaven is coming. It is here and it is, is coming again. And it's just showing that this king is different than any other king. And we see that even more so today, that he just doesn't say you should follow the Sabbath. He tells us something more. And that text really points us to this revealing of who Christ is. Anything else you want to highlight before we dig in? Uh, I would just, uh, again, concur with you that, um, you know, it's a great epiphany text because, uh, again, um, at the heart of it is who who is Jesus? And uh, we've already said, you know, the question of uh, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath? Uh, what, is, what does that mean? That gets into Jesus' identity. Also, you mentioned Jesus being king. I, I would say that uh, there's a pretty interesting uh, threefold response from G- Jesus. Uh, dealing with his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king uh, to the, the or excuse me to the Pharisees' uh, objection of what the disciples are doing in in picking grain. Ah, oh, very good. And now now we're getting real. Now we are getting real here. <laughs> when we bring out prophet, priest, and king, we are at a new level. So hold on to your hold on to your Bibles here, everybody. We are about to dig in. 
We are reading from the English Standard Version, like I mentioned, Matthew chapter 12, and we read the first two verses. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, at this point, you're, you're kind of frustrated with the Pharisees in general. Like, do they not have a regular job? I mean, what are they doing out in the fields watching these guys? How would you begin as we study these first two verses? Yeah, uh, that's that's a really good point. It seems like the Pharisees are, are uh, just following Jesus around, looking for any reason to critique or complain about anything he's doing. Uh, they, they don't find something that he's doing, but they find something that his disciples are doing. And so according to uh, common thinking of the time, you know, the teachers, uh, at least in part, if not uh, fully responsible for what the disciples are doing. And so they see, hey, they're, they're picking grains um, and, and eating on, on the Sabbath. And uh, as they say in verse two, that's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, one of the things that we have to um, acknowledge about that is um, the, disciple, uh, the disciples aren't breaking uh, the third commandment according to God's word. Uh, what the Pharisees are referring to is uh, the list of various uh, rules and regulations that had been uh, put in place in order to, I, I guess, further define what it means to keep the Sabbath or to not work on the Sabbath. Uh, but one of the things that we should note is that um, there's no Old Testament biblical mandate not to pick grain on the Sabbath. Um, you know, certainly people uh, w- would probably say quite readily that if you were harvesting your field on the Sabbath day, um, you know, that that would be considered work. Um, but there's a difference between harvesting a full field and um, the disciples picking a little bit of grain uh, because they were hungry. So uh, there's a, a pretty significant uh, difference there. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that we, we again, just need to highlight is that uh, the Pharisees are um, citing uh, lists of rules for the Sabbath from like Jubilees 50 or the Mishnah and things like that. They're not citing uh, God's word in the Old Testament when they say it's not lawful for the disciples to pick grain on the Sabbath. Uh, the other thing to say here is, again, as we, we introed, uh, the disciple, or excuse me, the Pharisees want to make this an argument over the Sabbath and Sabbath law and interpretation of that. Uh, but we're going to find here that this is much more about who is Jesus. Um, and that's really what's going to um, be discussed as Jesus gives his reply to their, their criticism. I remember, and this is a, a great interpretive key to always bring us back that you just mentioned right there is they want to make this about the Sabbath. And too often, and then then it's so easy, it would be easy for any human being to start fighting back and say, no, no, let me me tell you about this. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about this. I have my whole well that, you know, planned out rhetoric and argument all played out. And what you lose is, who is Jesus? And I remember this happens in in the life of the church so often, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. And it's important for us to think about that today is in the church. I remember one time someone was just talking about how someone said, oh, well, your church doesn't allow us to do X, whatever X was. 
And I remember they're like, no, 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 no. We can do that in our church now. Like we couldn't do that in the forties, but now we can do this. And then she, she mentioned that there was this, this long conversation. And the question that one other person asked when we were talking was, did you ever talk about Jesus in the midst of that conversation? <laughs> and it was very much so like, no, because it, it, you, you laid out the politics, you laid out the argument, you laid out what you, how you wanted to win. And what got lost is, as we will, in our three-layer lectionary that we'll, I'll be preaching on this weekend, is the body of Christ. I mean, this is First Corinthians type stuff. You lose the body of Christ when you don't have Christ. What are your thoughts? I mean, you, you laid the groundwork for this. This is really fun. Um, what are your thoughts as we look at this? No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you and I went to seminary together. And so one of the things I'd say is, you know, rule number one, the first thing they taught us about, hey, reading and understanding the scripture is that Jesus is at the center, right? We, we also have that in one of the questions we, we have with our, our confirmation students that, you know, what's the key to understanding the scriptures? Well, Jesus Christ is the heart and center of the, center of the scriptures and the key to its true meaning. Uh, so, yeah, it's always about who is Jesus and where do we find Jesus in this? So, yeah, um, you know, the Pharisees want to make this a, a critique about the Sabbath, but ultimately it's going to be about who is Jesus. You know, we'll, we'll probably talk about this at the end of the, the program mm-hmm. as well. But as I think about um, my role as a missions and stewardship executive for the Kansas district, one of the things that I, I've, I've talked to people across Kansas about is so often when we talk about the mission of the church, and witnessing and proclaiming, um, one of the things that I've pointed out is if you really step back and evaluate how the church has witnessed or proclaimed, and this isn't necessarily just the LCMS, but maybe the American church at large, but you know, it certainly can be found in the LCMS, that too often Jesus is actually missing from our proclamation. Jesus is is missing from our witness, you know, and, and part of that's because in our culture that we live in, it's just so easy to talk in vague abstractions about God, like God is love. Um, you know, um, obviously the scriptures declare that, but one of the things that we want to do is we want to keep Jesus as the focus. And one of the things we want to be doing when we're talking about mission work and witnessing is really proclaiming Jesus and talking about who he is and what he's done and what that means for us. Well, let's find out more about that, because that, that once again brings us back. And Jesus brings us back to himself, ironically. That's just kind of how he keeps doing this throughout the scriptures. So let's read verses 3 and 4. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How we entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Now, Pastor, I'll admit, you know, I've heard this a number of times. I've never done a lot of research going back to what reference he's speaking about. I always like, oh, I've heard that, you know, I've, I've read it before. You know, I read that during Old Testament class and all that kind of stuff. But really, it's a fascinating story to go back to. So can you tell us about that? What is he talking about, David and bread and the, and the presence and so forth? Yeah, so this is um, from 1 Samuel 21. And uh, the context of First Samuel 21, this is right after David has said goodbye to Jonathan. So he's not, he's not yet, um, you know, fully recognized as uh, king of Israel, but uh, he's God's anointed. Um, and Saul's out to get him. And David and his men are famished uh, in First in Samuel 21 to the point that, you know, they might die of starvation. And so... 
David goes and, and he gets bread, um, or he asks, he asks for bread, uh, but the priests tell him the only bread we have is the, sh- the show bread or the, the holy bread that only the priests are supposed to eat. But David and his men end up eating it, um, even though, according to God's word, uh, that was reserved for the priests. Um, and so that's what's going on in First Samuel 21, David and his men um, really running for their life. And um, so this is, this is the account. Now, one of the things that's um, maybe uh, a temptation for us to do with this, this particular passage is to say, well, look, uh, God gave a law in Leviticus, and David uses an exception in First Samuel 21. And so Jesus is really giving an exception that his disciples uh, should be able to use, that he and his disciples should be able to use. But there are certainly differences between Matthew 12 and 1 Samuel 21. Uh, while the disciples are hungry, it does not uh, give us any indication that their lives are at stake uh, with being able to eat the grain that they're plucking. They're, it just says that they're hungry. And so, you know, it's not of the same kind of argument that, that Jesus is making in 1 Samuel 21. An- another thing to note, and we'll come to this as we get to verse 7, but Jesus declares his disciples innocent in verse 7. He says that his disciples have not broken the law. So this isn't just, um, hey, I'm going to give you an exception in the Old Testament, and you guys need to give us an exception here. No, Jesus is actually making a slightly different argument. And the argument he's, he's making here is, hey, you Pharisees, you would never consider critiquing or condemning David for what he did. And look at what David did. He uh, actually, you know, uh, broke explicit law from Leviticus. Um, and, and so Jesus's point is, you guys wouldn't critique David. You wouldn't criticize David, nor should you cre- critique or criticize me because I'm the rightful king. Um, I'm, I'm greater than David. And so... Um, you know, again, it's, it's about who Jesus is. This is Jesus making an appeal to his kingly office and that he's even greater than King David. And so as we see that, it is very easy, and we see this a lot in today's culture, where someone would put up a sign that says, you know, don't put a, don't put a period where God has a comma. You know, kind of that, that excuse to be able to say, well, see, God isn't consistent in Scripture, therefore... I feel like this is the best for us today to follow such and such a practice or to allow such and such sin that no longer is sin or da 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 da. And so I really appreciated how you laid that out is you have to do the hard work of exegete, or, uh, interpretation, exegesis we'll call it, um, to be able to look at it and to fully understand because it's very easy for us to say, oh, the Pharisees said this, but they weren't necessarily quoting from the scriptures. And he's also speaking about this in a way of like, well, wait a second here. What about David and his story? How come you're so, you know, crazy about this one versus the other one? And the, but they're not the same story either. So um, this is an important piece for us, for our culture today. And so why, as you hear that, is there any more you want to say to how easily this can be misinterpreted in our world today to say, see, the, even Jesus doesn't necessarily follow through in his own words. Yeah, I think um, part of where we would start is, again, what we'll hear in verse 7, um, where Jesus says, uh, if you if you understood God's word, you would not have condemned the guiltless or the innocent, um, mm. is what Jesus says in verse 7. So again, Jesus isn't making an appeal to an exception. 
And I would say, you know, as you, you mentioned what's going on uh, in our world today, this is, this is continually what, what people do in the world, you know, uh, from the beginning, you know, uh, where uh, we try and find exceptions around God's word as uh, Adam and Eve were, were deceived by the devil and tempted to, to look for an out in God's word. Still today, people are doing that um, and and really trying to say, well, there are exceptions or, you know, there's, you know, ways in which this no longer applies. And, and that's not at all what, what Jesus is teaching us. Uh, again, the focus should be on who is Jesus. And as we know of Jesus, then we rightly understand his word and, and follow in his ways. So let's continue in verses five and six, because I think that unpacks it even a little more. Or the or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. I feel like, Pastor, that these two verses, we have about a minute left, or excuse me, a minute and a half left into our break, that this can be, a, you know, this one is kind of one of those part of this reading that we kind of skip over. And I have to admit, I kind of read over it first. So five and six are vital to, as you've mentioned, to the rest of the rest of our time. So break down five and six about the next minute. Yeah, again, um, Jesus is, is using another argument about uh, he didn't criticize David or, or King David. Um, and now he's saying you don't criticize the priests who are clearly working on the Sabbath as they serve God and his people. Mm. Um, and so uh, it's, it's a similar argument to the one before, although now we're appealing to Jesus' priestly office. Um, where he's saying you don't criticize the priest, nor should you criticize uh, me. And, um, you know, he really says that with a really audacious, uh, audacious statement in verse 6, where he says something greater than the temple is here. So, again, going back to uh, his argument from verses 3 and 4, he says you don't criticize David, I'm greater than David. Now he said, you know, very plainly, um, you don't criticize the priest, and something greater than the temple is here, pointing to himself as well. Um, really, um, you know, uh, again, pointing us to who he is and the authority that he has um, as uh, he, he teaches his disciples, as he brings God's word and proclaims his truth. Um, he, he's really kind of laying out for us uh, his authority as first king and then priest, and, and we'll get the prophet after the break. So let's get to our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 12 with Pastor Dan Galshute, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 12 with Pastor Dan Galshute, Assistant to the President for Missions and Stewardship of the Kansas District. Pastor, as we look at, at this, you, you read that, I mean, we read the, the, the verse, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. 
It rings to mind for me, John chapter 2, where the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus says, destroy this temple and for three days, in three days I will raise it up. And they're like, what are you talking about? And it, it just explains very clearly there. John interprets it for them and says, by the way, that's his body. Is that something we can relate with as it speaks here in verse 6? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely um, part of what, what we're getting at. Because, again, it's about who Jesus is. So whether you're going to John chapter 2 and you're finding out that Jesus is the true temple of God, um, Matthew does it a little bit differently than John does it when he talks about Jesus being greater than Jonah and be, Jesus being greater than Solomon. Here, Jesus is greater than the temple. Again, it's not said explicitly, but I'd argue that Jesus is making the argument in verse 4 that he's greater than King David. Um, and, and so uh, what we find here is that Jesus is, is the one who all the Old Testament is pointing to, right? It's all about Jesus, and he's the fulfillment of, of all that God says and proclaims in the Old Testament. Again, whether it's the prophets and Jonah, whether it's the wisdom of Solomon, whether it's the sacrificial system and, and the priestly office with the temple uh, or the, the kingly office in King David— Jesus is the greatest of them all. He's the one who it's all pointing to, and it's all about Jesus. <laughs> we keep going back to that. I absolutely love it. And in, in I'm really enjoying how you're breaking down, one, the, the offices of Christ, the kingly office, the priestly office, looking forward to the prophet, the office of prophet. But also breaking down the argumentation of Jesus is very helpful for us to be able to read this. This is why I really appreciate how we're slowing down. And like you said, I mean, you enjoy teaching and here's the opportunity and you're, and I mean, I'm being very blessed by it. And I know you, our listeners are as well. Before we get to seven and eight, which is one of those that we, we naturally run to, I would say it's just wonderful words and we really have to make sure we define it well. Anything else in the first six verses, Pastor? Uh, no, I guess I'd just say I'm I'm really enjoying this. Thanks for the uh, uh, invitation, and I'm looking forward to uh, what does it mean Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And I tell you what, for you, our listeners, Pastor Galshoot and I have known each other for quite a while, and usually by now we've talked about the Vikings, the Twins, and the Gophers, and we haven't really done it at all. So I'm, I'm proud of the Holy Spirit has entered in our time because we haven't mentioned it once. So anyways, let's get to verses 7 and 8. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Here he starts quoting, quoting the Bible again, quoting the Old Testament. And what is he quoting and what is he, what is he unpacking in these words? Yeah, so Jesus is quoting uh, Hosea 6, chapter 6. So again, I've, I've talked about prophet, priest, and king. So here he's quoting one of the prophets. And uh, just to give a little bit of context with Hosea chapter 6, um, the people of Israel um, were doing a pretty good job, according to Hosea 6, in performing uh, the rites and, and rituals of the sacrifice, but their hearts were far from God because they weren't uh, merciful to their neighbors and loving their neighbors as, as God calls them to. And so um, that's, that's really where we get this word, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Uh, although, again, um, Dr. Gibbs uh, talks about this not as an absolute negation. Um, maybe a, a little bit better translation might be something like, I desire mercy even more than sacrifice. Uh, so, you know, we hear that word not, and, you know, that means sacrifice goes away. 
And uh, this isn't necessarily an absolute negation in Hosea 6, 6 or, or here in Matthew. Uh, you know, one of the other things I should point out is that in Matthew, this is actually the second time Jesus has quoted Hosea 6, 6. So the first mm. time he does it is uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. And Jesus gives uh, this uh, command. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so one of the things that's really interesting with that, that beginning in Matthew 9, verse 13, is, is the command, go and learn what this means. Uh, it's not said here in Matthew 12, verse 7, uh, but it seems to be implied. Here we are three chapters later, and you guys haven't heard, you haven't learned what it means that God desires mercy and not um, not just sacrifice, or God desires mercy even more than sacrifice. And so uh, here we get into more of Jesus' office as, as a prophet, right? Because he, mm. he gave them the word of God from Hosea 6.6 6 in, in Matthew chapter 9, but they didn't learn the lesson. They didn't learn what it means. And so here he speaks again, um, this time not imploring them uh, to um, learn it, but this time he says, you haven't learned your lesson. You haven't listened to the prophets. You haven't listened to God's word, and, and most especially then, you haven't listened to me, Jesus, as, as the, the true and rightful prophet of God. And this is a good reminder for us of how he, I mean, he's speaking to us in this. I mean, not only to the Pharisees, but how often do we hear very clear proclamation from the Lord, the law that we've heard, and we really aren't listening um, because something like this, we could easily look at it and go, yeah, you know, that reminds me of those folks over there. You know, they don't really listen to God's word like me. And without me actually asking the question, am I actually following the words I just said? You know, I'll, I'll look around and say, well, are they really sincere in their faith? And I mean, are, are you, are you serious? I mean, this is, he is really hitting us between the eyes when he says, I desire mercy, not, not sacrifice. You know, are we are we being also a translation said steadfast love? I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. That this all brings us to our knees, for we will condemn the guiltless um, when we are indeed the ones who need to be well repenting for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But Pastor, I, I want to move to verse eight just to make sure we spend plenty of time on verse eight. For it says, "For the Son of Man is a Lord of the Sabbath." How would you how would you teach that? That is that is so vital to everything we learn today, but also as Christians. That if he's a Lord of the Sabbath, what does that mean for them and for us? Yeah, so um, there's really uh, a few things uh, that we need to say about this. Uh, first of all, is again, it's about the identity of Jesus, right? And so um, they're they're making criticisms about Jesus because of Sabbath rules and regulations from Mishnah and, and other places. And, and Jesus says, um, you know, I'm greater than any of that. I'm greater um, even than the Sabbath itself. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So he's making this gigantic claim that he uh, is more significant, more important than the Sabbath, which is, you know, God's gift of the seventh day, the day of rest. And so uh, what a gigantic claim there. And you, you think about what a gigantic claim it is. Uh, as, you know, all these lists and rules and regulations were developed over centuries because people uh, talking about God's word were trying to figure out what does it mean to keep the Sabbath and how do we refrain from doing work? And they created all these lists and rules 
it shows us the importance that they put on the Sabbath. Now, maybe in a wrong-headed way, but it shows us how significant the Sabbath was to them. And here Jesus is saying, I'm bigger than that. I'm better than that. Uh, and when Jesus says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, he's really claiming to be God himself, right? Uh, because God is the one who gave the Sabbath. And so if, if um, he's more important than the Sabbath, he's got to be the God who gave the Sabbath. He was there uh, at the creation, creating the world, bringing it all together. And he was there on the seventh day and rested because um, he had finished his work of creation. Uh, and so um, by this account, it tells us this is who Jesus is. And uh, this is, uh, you know, really what we have to focus on. Even as we hear his words, seek to keep his word and, and obey his commands, um, it really is uh, that Jesus is, is God and Lord. And so um, that's really uh, what we focus on even as, as we try and uh, follow his word. I almost feel like there's... I envision kind of a sarcastic remark here where they're kind of like, how dare you break the Sabbath? And Jesus held back some of his words and he said in these eloquent words here, but really it sums it up as, yeah, um, I created the Sabbath, you know, kind of a drop, a drop mic moment for him. It's like, okay, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning that in me, you actually find rest. Not with what you're doing. Clearly you guys are not resting in, in the Lord because you're so hyped up about everybody else. You're not even thinking about your own souls. You're not looking to the you're not looking to the Lord. You're looking to yourself or looking at others to try to find your identity. He just simply says, "Yeah, I I I am the Sabbath because I created it, and in me you will find rest." Last thoughts on those first eight verses? Yeah, well, especially as you talk about I am the Sabbath and I created it. Um, I I really like uh, thinking about Jesus as the embodiment of the Sabbath. Mm and also the Lord of the Sabbath, right? So as you said, in Jesus, we find our rest, and he's the one who's who's over the Sabbath. And, uh, you know, this is a, a different approach to how Jesus often ends up talking to uh, people about what's going on with the Sabbath. Uh, one of the quotes we often hear uh, when it comes to the Sabbath is, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Yeah. Um, and so because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, he, he's... Um, going to tell us in the verses to come, yeah, and the Sabbath was created as a gift to you and for your good. And, and Jesus is really going to uh, draw our attention to that uh, in the verses to come. And that and that's an important, and, and that's a great quote. I look forward to digging to, to into that deeper because he's very clear, in him is rest. And and it's important for us to remember that, that while well, he's, he's offering this gift to us, which is a continuous thing that we need to remember that that, that he he offers us these gifts and and the, the the quality of that gift is not so much about me receiving it or me evaluating it it's fr because it's from God that it is a great gift and that is what he is unpacking for us today so he gets done with that drop mic and then he goes on and goes to a synagogue so I'm ready to move on are you ready to move on pastor yes all right here we go nine through fourteen actually you know what nine through twelve we'll start there. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. So he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? 
so as lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So he, I mean, this is obviously a different place than, than the grain fields. Now he's in a synagogue. And what happens? Um, tell us the story a little bit. Yeah, so again, uh, we got the religious leaders there, right? And uh, they're looking to accuse him, as we see at the end of verse 10. So it's, you know, before they accused his disciples, and, um, you know, by association, that means that they were accusing Jesus, but they were really attacking the actions of Jesus' disciples. Now they want to attack Jesus and accuse him directly. Um, and so uh, they, they basically present the challenge and they show him, um, you know, hey, here's this guy with this withered hand. And uh, is it lawful to heal? Can you do this work on the Sabbath? And so one of the things that Jesus does is he talks to them about something that they could relate to in terms of if, if they had a sheep who um, falls into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you um, reach down and pick it up and help it out and, and save its life? And the implied answer here is, well, yes, of course we would. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to necessarily consider that work. Uh, we, we have to save the life of the sheep. And, and Jesus says, uh, number one, well, a man's more valuable than a sheep. Right. So it's it's um, right if you would help out a sheep for me to help out a man. Uh, but two, one of the things that I like that I, I think is implied here is, hey, you're going to take care of your sheep on the Sabbath. Guess what? I'm going to take care of my sheep on the Sabbath. Right. I am the good shepherd. Uh, echoes of John chapter 10 here. Right. And then so at the end, the the answer is given. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And again, this goes back to what we talked about a little bit uh, ago, which is uh, the Sabbath is a gift, right? The Sabbath was meant to do good. And, and one of the problems that um, people were running into in their wrong approach to the Sabbath is they were burdening people with all the extra rules and regulations of what it meant to keep the Sabbath so that people were not actually finding rest in the Sabbath. And Jesus says, no, the Sabbath is for your good. Um, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I, I want this to benefit my people. I want this to bless my sheep. And so um, that that's really the answer. And, you know, as you talked about uh, in one of your comments a little bit ago, uh, this is where we find that we do need to, to um, receive continual rest from Jesus because the Sabbath is for our good. Um, and that's really one of the things we're learning in, in these verses. I think I want to ask this question now is it's very easy. Well, I think we all can relate with that reality of my goal was to find rest. And by the time that vacation or that day off or the situation that I was in where I thought I'm going to have some rest, everything goes wild. You know, it's like a wildfire that goes off in my life and I'm not able to find rest for us. We're clearly not saying go on to the beach and have a margarita. I mean, maybe that's part of this, but, but, but ultimately we're looking to Jesus while we do this. What would be your encouragement for the Christian who's trying to find rest in Jesus at this time? And how, maybe, I don't want to say how to, but, but I guess I am asking that. Like how, how can we find rest in the Lord Jesus in our, in our day to day? Yeah, you know, I'd say um, we do really struggle with this because we live in such a fast-paced world and a busy society, and so it's always go, go, go. And really, we do need to hear um, God's exhortation to, to slow down, right? Think about Psalm 46, be still and know that I am the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. um, we, we do need to, to slow down. 
But but even more importantly, as you talked about, um, this is about finding rest in Jesus, right? So, you know, the Old Testament Sabbath was primarily set up uh, so that people knew that they didn't have to work all the time, right? And and you think about how um, good of a, a blessing uh, this was from the Lord because they lived um, much more difficult lives, much more of a hand-to-mouth existence. And so, um, you know, work uh, was, was much more physically strenuous and, and uh, pay, people maybe lived more on the edge of life and death, um, you know, in, in Old Testament times than we do uh, today when it comes to being able to eat, um, that, that's certainly the case. And so, you know, the, the blessing of the Sabbath is really, hey, you can rest from your work. You don't have to work just, just all the time just to live. It, it, God will bless you, watch over you, gives you rest so that, so that you can um, enjoy that rest and enjoy life as well. Well, as we move to the New Testament and we think about works versus resting, we want to think about um, how people can become works righteous, right? And think that there's always more I have to do. I have to please God by doing A, B, and C. And then even when A, B, and C are done, there's D, E, and F, and on and on and on it goes so that it's always uh, work, 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 and it's about what I'm doing. And, and one of the things Jesus is reminding us and one of the things that we learn uh, as we think about Jesus as our Sabbath or Jesus as our rest is that, no, uh, he does invite us to stop. He, in fact, tells us that we can't work to give ourselves uh, forgiveness, life, and sal- salvation. That has to be a gift that comes from God. And the only place that we can really um, find that is in the rest that Jesus offers us uh, because of his life, death, and resurrection. And as we receive that blessing through his word and through baptism and through the Lord's Supper, uh, that's really where we can, can trust that God has done the work for me. And God's allowing me to stop and rest and trust in Jesus and rely on him uh, so that I don't have to beat myself up by what I have done or by what I haven't done. I do think about this, and, and that's so so wonderful. And, and, and the application of this is, one, um, almost a sermon to yourself that, well, and your pastor gives you this sermon too, other people, other Christians, that when they say something, when, when you're forgiven in Christ by your pastor, that it is basically saying, now you can rest. And I think about this a lot because as, as parents, there are times where you have to do certain tasks. And when one of the parents says, especially my wife says to me, okay, you go take a nap now. I've got this. You're able to then rest. But if she's like, well, you know, I guess you could take a nap, but there's a lot to do. And, you know, you're not quite doing everything correctly. And, you know, you're not doing it right. Well, guess what? I'm not going to rest. <laughs> I'm not going to take yeah. that nap. I'm going to be worried. Oh, my gosh, what's going on? But when she says it that way, boom, the same thing happens with our Lord. And this is why the church is there. This is why KFUO does what we do. That's why Kansas District has a stewardship and missions guy. That's why we have pastors and, and other workers is to remind people that God has this. That Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He has taken it all upon himself, and therefore, you can rest. The forgiveness, like you said, the salvation we proclaim, the Lord's Supper we give, all of those things remind people, guess what? God's got this, and now you can rest in me. Any of your thoughts on that? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as I, I mentioned the context before, remember, this is about who Jesus is. And as you move into the next section from Matthew, you see that Jesus is God's servant. And what kind of servant is he? 
He's the kind of servant who doesn't break a bruised reed. Mm-hmm. If you're not finding rest, if you're struggling um, with uh, all that you have to do or struggling with, I, I, I can never please God, uh, then, then you look to Jesus and see, hey, Jesus is the servant who doesn't break a bruised reed. Jesus is our Sabbath rest, just as he invites us to hear and believe and receive And at the end of Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's continue on with that. That is, like you said, it really is the answer to the Lord, uh, the, the Lord, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's what it comes down to, rest. And so we'll see how that lays out for the rest of this time. And also, what it looks like when someone doesn't accept that rest. I mean, we see that here, verses 13 and 14. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So I want to just start, just stick with verse 13 to begin with. What happens, and what's the significance? Yeah, so as Jesus has just declared, it is a lawful for him to do good on the Sabbath. So he's going to bless one of his sheep. He's going to bless one of God's creatures. And he restores uh, the man's uh, hand to health as he stretches it out. We, we read, and it was restored healthy like the other. And uh, this picture of restoration then points us to the final rest that we find in Jesus, right? As we talked about the blessing of God's word and of, of uh, going to the divine service and receiving forgiveness and life and salvation Sunday after Sunday. One of the challenges we have with that is that when we go to other things later on on Sunday or on Monday, that we feel like we're losing the rest or, or that, you know, we're focused on other things. And so the rest, it, it doesn't have maybe the lasting impact that, that we would like it to. Well, you know, that's, that's due to our, perception not due to the reality of what God's doing for us because as he gives us rest on Sunday as he gives the man rest and restores his hand it points us to the the final restoration and rest that God offers to all of his people in in his kingdom on the last day um, so that's that's really what's going on with this rest uh, and restoration going on in verse seven uh, excuse me verse 13 and that's a good reminder and it's also almost another sermon that the Lord gives to us to proclaim to ourselves many times is this reality that we, um, that each week we go through kind of like, okay, after this week, it's going to get easier next week. And that tends to be our sermon to ourselves, you know, um, or like, uh, kind of like you talk about forgiveness that we'll say, well, water under the bridge, you know, it's never quite a complete, <laughs> a complete hope of forgiveness. Cause you're like, is that a forgive but don't forget kind of thing? Or what just happened there? And here, like, oh, next week's going to be easier, and therefore I'll be able to rest then. And then we get to the next week and the next week, and it just never quite get there. Is this constant sermon to ourselves to say, the Lord gives me rest now. I know who I am in him. I know who I am in him. And there will be a day where I will have that final rest, and it'll be resting forever. And not, not when I die, you know, this is not the final rest, even though that is a rest um, closer to Jesus. It's when Christ returns where we will receive that final rest. Your thoughts on, on the importance of that for every Christian to preach to themselves? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I was thinking when you were talking in terms of forgiveness, you know, I know this is my experience and I'm sure it's the experience of 
maybe all, if not all, I would say many Christians is that you hear God's word of forgiveness, but you're troubled over uh, a past sin, right? So you receive the rest for a time, but uh, your guilt or your conscience will come back uh, to accuse you or the, the devil accuses you. And so, you know, the, the rest doesn't last um, as, as well as we'd like it to. And that's where I think you're right. We need to continually hear God's word, continually receive uh, his word of rest, his forgiveness. And, and uh, that, that is really, like you say, a sermon that we need to hear over and over again each and every day of our lives. And then when you talk about the rest on the last day, you know, we're talking about um, not necessarily just, you know, everybody's taking naps uh, when we get to the heavenly kingdom, right? That's not exactly how it works, but to have true rest, to be at peace from your sins, to not have the problems that we face in this world, to not feel, um, you know, uh, like you're always so busy that you don't know how to keep up with things. You know, there will be activity in heaven, but it, but it won't involve a uh, crazy busy life, feeling like you're behind, being troubled by your sins or worrying about problems you'll be able to rest from all that because of what God offers in Jesus Christ. With about three minutes left in our time, it's clear that we struggle enough to find rest as Christians who maybe are in the word, who are in the word of God, part of our churches receiving those gifts. But verse 14, it says about those who did not receive this rest, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him. This brings up a very real thing in our world where people do not find rest in the Lord Jesus, which is a denial of him completely. Your thoughts on, on how, well, it's not a great way to end it, but that's, this is how the text ends. What are your thoughts on, on verse 14? Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned before how um, when Jesus mentioned the temple uh, in, in verse uh, 5, that it echoes John chapter 2, and I, I certainly hear that as well as, um, you know, when Jesus in John chapter 2 um, is asked for a sign. He says, destroy this temple, right? Well, here they're looking for ways to destroy the temple of God. And it's because, as you said, they don't, they don't get who Jesus is. They've rejected Jesus and, and his true identity as uh, their Sabbath, right? Um, and, and so that's what it is. The, the Pharisees um, have, have basically said, I don't want the rest that Jesus offers. I want to do this on my own. I can keep all the list of rules and regulations. And, and so uh, rejecting the rest of Jesus, they, they look for ways to get rid of Jesus. And, and unfortunately, that's what we see happen whenever uh, sinful people reject the Lord. Um, they, they end up uh, looking for ways to um, then, you know, try and put God or put Jesus out of their mind. And we certainly see that happening in our world today. Um, and so um, given how much that happens, uh, you know, going back to something I said earlier, that's why it's so important for all of us that we continue to proclaim Jesus and to focus on Jesus because we don't want to put Jesus away. We don't want Jesus uh, to be, um, you know, away from our, our thoughts or our, our faith or our hearts. We want, we want to receive um, uh, the work that Jesus has done for us. We want to look to him and trust in him. And then we want to proclaim him to others uh, that uh, others might know the rest that we have. Um, because, uh, you know, ultimately it is, it is a blessed thing. Uh, and, uh, while we'd love to give it to them, you know, of our own accord or in our own ways, ultimately what we have to say is, uh, we trust the Holy Spirit to do his work when we, when we proclaim Jesus and the rest that he offers, uh, the spirit works when and where he pleases to bless, uh, those who hear 
with the rest that Jesus offers. Pastor Dan Galshute, Assistant to the President for Missions and Stewardship of the Kansas District in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, bringing us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 12. Pastor Galshute, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be with you today and to study the word with you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.